there was a bomb concussion, so that's when a bomb explodes, it separates the air very quickly right there. And so it, I literally, we saw waves of air moving towards us and my hair was very long at the time. It kind of flew up and blew all around me. Hi, this is the host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and specific strategies you can do to overcome any adversity in life so you can make an impact. If you haven't done so already, there's a link in the description called the 52 Tips I Wish I Knew I Was in High School. Now, this is a quick 30-minute read. It's about 20 pages, quick and easy, but I go into different tips and lessons I have learned in the past 28 years on things I wish I knew in high school, such as anywhere from relationships to colleges, to your career, to your mental health. So go check it out after the podcast is done. Click on the link in the description and download my free ebook. Today's podcast guest is Elena Breeze. Elena is a wife, a mother of two beautiful children, an influencer, and a blogger for Still Blooming Me. She's a Boston Marathon bombing survivor. And in the past seven years, she's been recovering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and uh, she's been going through a lot in the past seven years, different mental health challenges, in and out of the hospital, therapy, anxiety, depression. Um, sometimes she couldn't even eat. And in this podcast episode, Lena is going to talk about her experience with not only experiencing the Boston Marathon bombing, she was right across the first bomb while she was in the bleachers, but she was also going to talk about her recovery and what other people can do if they're recovering from PTSD. So give it up for Elena Breeze. Hi, Elena. Thank you so much for accepting this interview with me. It's, it's a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with you. <laughs> Elena, I, I know you're a Boston Marathon bombing survivor, and you know, you've gone through a lot with the recovery, but take us through how Elena was and who Elena was before the Boston Marathon bombing. Oh my gosh, that's such a good question because I miss her so much sometimes. Well, I was a young mom before the bombing. Um, at the time, my daughter was had just turned three and my son was seven months old. We were just busy kind of in the weeds as new parents. Um, we have our own business, so we were managing our own business and then my husband training for the marathon and two small kids and life was just really hectic and kind of stressful. And then, uh, as you said, you know, we, we were at the Boston marathon, my husband was running and I was waiting for him at the finish line with my brother-in-law and I was standing in the bleachers directly across, across the street from the, where the first bomb um, went off and then shortly after the second bomb went off and that's just kind of where the I think kind of the division from who I was before and who I was going to become that's where it started so I think most of your listeners if they're dealing with something traumatic that's happened to them that will resonate with them that's kind of the person they were just it goes away and you have mm -hmm. to kind of figure out a new normal, a new way of living. And it 
can become so consuming that you just kind of start to forget what life was like before. So when that's happening, uh, what was it like towards the middle or towards the end? Okay. So when the bombing happened in relation to the day or so the bombs went off, um, I believe, and you can probably look it up at around three o'clock in the afternoon. So people had been running all day. The elite runners start first and finish first, obviously. And then based on like how they've divided the runners up into different corrals, they start them kind of in different time slots. And then based on when they start, you can follow them. They have kind of a chip in their their bib and you can mm-hmm. follow your runner. And then um, I was allowed to be in those bleachers for a certain window of time based on when my husband started started the race. So I had probably been in the bleachers for about 20 minutes when gotcha. the bombs went off. And what's mm-hmm. going through your mind when it's happened? Ooh, I'm kind of one of those people that I remember all of it. Mm-hmm. I think for some people, when they're faced with something traumatic, well, we know the brain will shut down to protect itself. Um, so sometimes when someone is surviving a car accident or sexual abuse, they their body, you know, their brain shuts down so they don't forget. It's a protection mechanism that's kind of built into our bodies. That didn't happen to me, so I remember all of it. Uh, it was very, very loud. There was a bomb concussion, so that's when a bomb explodes, it separates the air very quickly right there. And so it I literally, we saw waves of air moving towards us and my hair was very long at the time. It kind of flew up and blew all around me. There was a lot of smoke, but I think the most, well, I know the most horrific part of the experience was witnessing what was happening with the people across the street from me. They were, you know, swirling, like the crowd was swirling in hysterics. It it was very scary it was and and before you could really even make reason or try and figure out what you had just witnessed the second bomb went off so they were about 12 seconds apart even though like some of those moments seemed frozen in time for us everything moved very quickly so (laughs) your body kind of and your brain are trying to catch up to what's happening before you. And it's just, it's a lot to take in. Before I knew it, we were on Exeter Street running in the opposite direction away from Boylston Street. And there were bomb, like like um, SWAT teams and like big armored vehicles racing towards us. So it all like happened very fast. And how long did it take you to reconnect with your husband? Well, um, he was running with a very good friend of his Uh who had his cell phone with him. Jeff did not have his cell phone with him. They were about a mile and a half from finishing. So they didn't hear anything or see anything, fortunately. And cell phone service was cut very quickly down there because obviously they were afraid more bombs would be detonated. Mm -hmm. Um, So they, I was able to get one phone call out to my dad and my call was cut uh, while I was talking 
to him. So it was, the conversation was literally maybe 10 seconds long. It was very short. Um, and then his friend texted me. I mean, I didn't get the text right away, but when I got back to where I was within about 20 minutes of the bombing, um, I was able to get the text and respond back. So they knew within about 20 minutes or so that I was okay and that Ken, my brother-in-law, we were together. What's going on in your mind in the next few weeks? How, how are you dealing with this traumatic event? You know, two days after the bombing, we were back home in Arizona. We don't live in Massachusetts. And um, I was back to running after my three-year-old. I was still um, nursing my son. So I was up a lot in the middle of the night with him, caring for him. And so I just kind of went back into mom mode, taking care of everyone else around me. And I didn't, I failed to take care of myself. And I had decided, you know, with probably that first week home, a lot of people were asking me about it. And part of my conversation with them was, yeah, I'm not going to talk about it again. And I had kind of decided I was going to file it away in the place of my mind of things just to forget, you know? And that's not how our brains work. <laughs> it wasn't really in the first few weeks that I started experiencing anything at all. It was actually around the one year anniversary that I started having nightmares, really bad nightmares. And then that just kind of um, like snowballed into many more symptoms over the next few years. So it's been almost seven years, I think, in April. It's going to be eight, actually. It's going to be eight? Oh, wait. Yeah, 2013. Seven. seven. You're right. Seven. Seven years. I'm losing my, I'm losing my um, mind here. <laughs> at, w- at what yeah, point you, st- you, st- you stored everything away in your brain uh, of things to forget and we all know you shouldn't do that. You should deal with problems head on. At what point of your life did it catch up to you? It started catching up with me in early 2016. I think I'd been experiencing anxiety and depression and obviously um, nightmares, which were contributing to insomnia. I'd been experiencing those things since about the one year anniversary but something in, started in 2016 where it became really hard to cope with. And I wasn't seeing a therapist and I wasn't making the connection at all that it was tied to the bombing. But the anxiety and the panic attacks were starting, they were happening in public places. They were happening while I was driving. It just became much more difficult to function as a parent, as a person. and. I, again, wasn't making the connection, and on July uh, 14th, 2016, um, that's the day of the Bastille Day attack in Nice, France, I was making dinner for my family, and I sat down to watch the evening evening news, and I caught a clip of a witness recalling what they had um, experienced that day, and something that man said just triggered like a spiral of it triggered in me um kind of my last um spiral and panic attack uh that triggered weeks long of insomnia and I lost my ability to even eat so 
that was after three, about three weeks of that, I woke up on August 3rd, 2016, and I hospitalized myself. So, yeah. And I I read in one of your blogs that you were hospitalized and it was probably one of the worst experiences you had to go through. Why is that? From a patient standpoint, I don't know if trauma is really understood in mental health. I think it's finally being more and more understood. And and I, the more I have researched mental challenges and my own mental health, I think that trauma is really the root of most mental health problems that we have in this country. So if we're really not addressing the root of the problem and we're just trying to mask the symptoms with a cocktail of medications or whatever it may be, it's not going to help that person heal. And the doctors in the hospital, just their, their whole philosophy was just to kind of stabilize me and send me on my way. But I had never been on medications before. And I was someone who hadn't slept in three weeks and nothing that they gave me was helping me sleep. It was making me shake uncontrollably. So I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat because I Mm -hmm. couldn't even like lift a fork to my mouth. So they just didn't, they did not help me. And I left there with like this fire ignited in me to Um, advocate for myself and fight for myself because I knew that I was the only person that could do it the way it should be done. Uh Um, So that was my, my hospital experience in a Uh nutshell. And from, so 2016 to up until now, what have you been doing to get better? Oh my gosh, so much. Well, right away I found I found a trauma therapist and I worked with her for a little while. And then I kind of felt that there maybe just wasn't, there was something missing. And I did some more research and talked to people in my area and I found the best therapist. So I think if I could give any advice to people who are watching this, it's that, you know, this, when you are investing in yourself and getting help, not everybody is going to be that right fit for you. You really need to find the right person who's going to help you through it. In addition to trauma therapy, I see a naturopathic doctor uh, who helped me with supplements and a lot of issues I was having from the trauma uh, medically. Part of that was using acupuncture um, I basically decided to treat myself naturally because the medications had made me so sick. So she really helped me kind of from that standpoint. Um, really, it was a puzzle that I had to put together. Mm-hmm. So between like the naturopath, mm-hmm. the trauma therapist, and other natural healing modalities that I opened myself up to that I did on my own here at home. Um, That's kind of how I started to heal from this. And journaling was a big part of it. And meditation has been a huge part of it. How often do you meditate? Every day. Every single day, yes. Every single day, sometimes twice a day, or if I'm really having a hard day, more than that. And some of those tools are free. So they're really easy to access. And that's part of what my passion and calling has been with 
my website's still blooming me is I want to share those things with people, tools and resources that have helped me heal. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference between the therapist that kind of helped you versus the therapist that um, was useful, but not all the way there? I think personalities are always Mm -hmm. perhaps part of it. Maybe you just don't feel a connection with someone. I also needed pretty intense trauma therapy. I wasn't getting anywhere with my other counselor and she felt I didn't really need EMDR, but I wasn't, I was in there every week, still a mess. So I I didn't feel I was progressing. And so that was kind of what pushed me forward to find somebody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, With this new therapist, you know, besides the natural healing parts, um, what did he or she, like, how did he or she help? Um, well, she is an expert in treating first responders and veterans. So, um, and those are the only people that she sees. So I felt because, and she felt because of the trauma that I had been through, that it would be a good fit for me. And personality-wise, we just clicked right off the bat. And she, she's given me so much more than other therapists have um, advice wise. And, and trauma therapy is very beneficial for, for clearing and desensitizing the trauma in your brain. And you have to find the right person who knows what they're doing and who can do it effectively. And she's, she's phenomenal. So you do, you, you meditate, you journal every day, you do some of the natural healings. Uh, what else can you recommend to someone who's going through PTSD? Oh my gosh. I, I can sit here and recommend different resources all day uh, and different tools all day. And I'm happy to do that. But I think what I could recommend the most to someone experiencing PTSD is more of like a frame of mind. And that is to be open. <laughs> um, open to all the different ways that people can heal open to whatever they feel they could incorporate into their life. I I just feel like that mentality needs to be where you start Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I could give people all the tools and all the things, but if they aren't ready to embrace them and, and I mean, not just embrace the tools, but embrace the trauma and the PTSD in their life, um, as part of their path, then they're not going to heal or go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that goes for any, any type of challenges in life. You know, we, yeah. anxiety, depression, um, whatever things you've gone through as when you're younger or in your household or between your friends, you know, a lot of times, like what you did is you stored that away and said, I'm going to feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, many times, you know, I, I've done the same thing when you do that is you actually don't feel better. You might feel better temporarily, but it'll catch up to you at some point in some, in some way. Definitely. And I think part of this too, isn't about so much about the things you're incorporating into your life to heal, but it's also about the things you have to eliminate in order to heal. Um, you kind of touched on that, like, it could be people in your family or friends. Um, I mean, I've been through that. Listen, this has highlighted the people in my life who really, truly love me and care about me. 
and I've had to let some people go and it was hard. <laughs> it's not easy, mm -hmm. but those are some of the decisions you have to make. I also had to eliminate alcohol and caffeine from my life. Like unbeknownst to me, I was using those substances to cope. Um, I was using alcohol in the evenings to kind of bring the stress level down so that I could get my kids fed and bathed and into bed. And then having alcohol wouldn't, would make my sleep terrible. So then I would wake up in the morning and I would start like the whole caffeine thing just to get through the day. And it just became this cycle and I felt terrible through it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. eliminating that from my life also was part of all of this. Uh -huh. um, so it's not so much adding things, adding things is great, but you sometimes you have to let things go too. Absolutely, absolutely. And what, what happened to your brother-in-law? Did, did he have to go through um, a numerous amount of therapy as well? No, he's in therapy, but he, he has never been diagnosed with PTSD. Gotcha. So he's, he's doing his work processing and I'm sure processing the bombing is part of it too. But with trauma, like everybody, everybody experiences it differently. And we know like 70% of Americans will suffer a trauma in their lifetime, but only 20% will develop PTSD. So not everybody develops it. Now you're influencing other people who've experienced PTSD, um, anywhere from terrorist attacks or bombings. But before that, you found a community of people, I think you were mentioning. How did you find that community of people and how has it helped you? Um, well, it's interesting. My husband stumbled across an article in the Boston Globe. He's from Boston, so he still reads a lot of the news back there. And Oh, part of one of the things I eliminated from my life was the news, by the way. <laughs> um, I haven't watched the news since 2016, and I, I don't miss it at all. I remember the last time I the news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, back to your question. He had come across an article about another survivor, and uh, he sent it to me, and I Googled her, and her website came up and had some really great footage of her speaking and she was in the bleachers as well. And so right away I emailed her. I was able to connect with her and we were actually heading to Boston in the spring. And I said, I have to meet you. I'm going to be there from April 10th to April 20th. Can we meet? And she said, you're going to be here for the anniversary. Why don't you come? You have to meet everyone. And so I, I did, I went to the anniversary. I went to the they do like a memorial in the morning at the bombing sites and then they have a breakfast. And so I went to both and that was kind of like my introduction into like the survivor world. <laughs> but, and it was amazing. I cried the whole time because I think finally, like the loneliness that I had been carrying for so long with me, the loneliness with all the anxiety and depression and just everything I had been feeling for so long melted away because without having to say anything these people understood and so now I'm really involved in an organization called strength to strength and they support victims of terror and their families or and bereaved family members 
um, from all over the world. I'm just so grateful for this community because there are um, a handful of them that I can call on or text any time of day or night, and we're just there for each other. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if I can give any advice to someone going through a mental challenge, try and find someone who can relate to you, someone who can understand and who's been in your shoes because it, it helps, it helps you carry that burden. They're carrying it with you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's important to have that support. And what, what type of, what type of people have you met in different situations? My gosh, well, some of my close Friends are 9-11 survivors, Oklahoma City bombing survivors, a really, really great friend of mine um, who also experienced hospitalization. She sur survived the Mumbai attack in India, and then a very good friend survived a shooting in Kenya. I have great friends from the London attacks. And then this last November, I went to the International Congress for Victims of Terror in Nice, France, which was interesting because I got to meet Nice survivors for the first time. So I just have a great network of people that we can kind of count on each other and share this with each other. I'm really grateful for that. Mm -hmm. How have you been impacting others? Well, I kind of just don't know because I do this <laughs> from home and um, I speak at events throughout the year sharing my story. And like I said, I went to Nice, France, and I actually was at a dinner with several survivors from all over the world. And a woman said to me, I know you. I've been on your website. I've been reading about <laughs> you. And that she lives in Copenhagen. So, and I have readers in like 76 different countries around the world. Wow. So obviously what I'm writing and sharing is resonating with other people too. So that's what propels me forward because I think it is very painful, but if I can put some meaning to that pain, then it makes it feel more worthwhile to me. When did you start? Well, I started really journaling in the hospital. I okay. hadn't obviously, you know, because I was trying to ignore this big thing in my life up until then. I started journaling in the hospital and then it just kind of continued. And I made my little website and it was private. And I just kind of thought no one's ever going to read this. So I made it live and I did a little like Instagram page for it. and. And then it just grew really fast. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think I, it, it was live in January of 2017. So not long after my hospitalization. And then in April of that year, I wrote for Maria Shriver's website. And I've written for her a couple of times sharing my story. So it just very quickly kind of took off. Mm-hmm. And and now well, you're in an organic way, not not yeah. something I've really worked that hard to push forward. So your husband ran another marathon. Yeah, Correct? he did. Yeah, I saw that. And we were all there with uh -huh. him when he finished. So he finally was able to finish. That was uh -huh. um in 2013. That was really hard for him because uh -huh. he'd run so far and then didn't get to finish. So um in 2000 
18, we were all there together when he finished. Yeah, I ran my, I ran my first marathon, I think, two, the Disney marathon, I think two, three years oh, ago. Oh, those look like so much fun. Oh, when you're going through it, it's not that much fun. <laughs> I don't think any marathon is much fun, but at least you had cool things to look at. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Do you have any last tips for anyone who um, experienced something traumatic in their life? Whether it is as extreme as a bombing or a terrorist attack or maybe something else like abuse at home. Yeah. Well, I could go on and on. But I think if it's someone who's wanting to heal, to be open, to have an open heart, to be gentle with yourself, to, un- to do research so that they can understand how the trauma has affected their bodies, um, I think... Uh, from what I've learned and experienced myself, trauma can come out in very physical ways. And so it's scary. I mean, I've thought all sorts of things that I've had brain tumors or cancers or all kinds of things, but when really it is just the PTSD in my body and it's coming out in a really weird way. Um, So I think getting some understanding of what trauma does to us is also beneficial for anyone who's been through it. Advocating for yourself, fighting for it, speaking up for yourself, finding those who will listen to you. I mean, I could go on and on. I think it's important to know when to ask for help and to use your voice, those sorts of things. I think that's really important. And I think, I mean, I know that you speak, or most people who are watching this or listening to this are young people. And I'm, old, obviously, I know that. (laughs) But some things that I learned in high school still resonate with me today. And like, in high school, you go to your teacher when you don't understand something, right? A concept, a math problem, whatever it is, you go and you ask for help. And I think you can relate that to other areas in your life. And mental health is one of those places where you can also ask for help. It's okay. So I think the mental health conversation is much more different today than it was when I was in high school. I didn't know what PTSD was. I didn't, I knew what anxiety and depression were, but I didn't connect them to myself, you know, even though I know I was probably going through some of those emotions and feelings as, as a young person. So I think asking for help and, and, and listening when someone else might be reaching out to you for that same kind of help too. Thank you. Thank you for that advice for my listeners. And where can people find you, Elena? Uh, well, they can follow me on my website, which is stillbloomingme.com. I'm also very active on Instagram and my handle is just at stillbloomingme. And I share a lot of resources and tools on there um, that people can look at. And I think they'll find them interesting. And I also included, I'm going to include those links in my description of the podcast. So thank okay. you so much, Elena. I mean, thank you. It's really been a pleasure. And I think this is, um, I think a lot of your insight and tips are really beneficial for anyone. And I, I really hope some of my listeners can have some takeaways after listening to this episode. Oh, good. I, I hope so. I'm, I'm happy to help and happy to share. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Have a good day. Today's episode was on PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's the first one 
we did, I did on PTSD. Elena was a victim of the Boston Marathon bombing. Although she wasn't physically hurt from the Boston Marathon bombing, she experienced it and it caused years and years and years of um, mental health challenges. And she had to be in and out of the hospital. She couldn't eat for several weeks. She developed anxiety, depression. Although she wasn't physically hurt, she was, um, she did go through these mental health challenges. And the biggest takeaway and the biggest tip that she can give to anyone who has gone through any traumatic experience in their life. You know, she's interacted with a lot of people from mass shootings to bombings. And the biggest tip she can give anyone is to accept that you have experienced those traumatic experiences and events and accept that you need help. It's not a bad thing to go and receive help. She actually, you know, was at first hospitalized, was put on medication. She did not like that whatsoever because it didn't get to the root cause of her problems. And it, she was on medications. And then she went to the first therapist. And the first therapist, she, she liked the therapist, but then she felt like something was missing. So she went to the second therapist and she found more synergy with that therapist than the first one. So the biggest tip, a biggest takeaway is, Accept that you need help and go talk to people about it, um, which means that you might have to get rid of your, some of your old habits as well, such as drinking alcohol or caffeine and getting rid of some of your to toxic relationships with people who are telling you that you're being overdramatic and to suck it up. Go receive help. It's not a bad thing. Um, if Elena can go through it and now she inspires other people to recover from PTSD, you can also be one day a symbol of hope. So until next time, if you haven't done so, if you want to tune in for Apple Podcasts, go ahead and rate and review um, the Teenage Impact Podcast. It's the best podcast out there for any teenage kid to listen to if they're trying to overcome some type of adversity. So until next time, peace.